Hello and welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and this is our first Buffy Season 6 episode of the year. Hello, everyone. I'm here with my co-host, uh, culture writer and critic, and Scooby. Philip Ellis, hello. Hi, Philip. It is a pleasure to be back, as always. Yay, I love having you with me. Um... Yeah, thank you for doing this. This is our first episode of 2020. Well, maybe not our first episode, but our first Buffy season six one. After our little long hiatus. I mean, I feel like season six requires sort of long gaps in between these incredibly grueling episodes. (laughs) Sure does. It's like Hell's Bells, then this, then Entropy, and then, you know, Tara dies, and lots of... Lots of fun stuff happening. (laughs) Can I just fucking live, Joss? Christ. Uh, So we have two amazing guests this episode. Uh, First up, we have got Chilling Adventures of Sabrina writer. Joshua Conkle. Hello, hello, hello. Hey! And we have gay porn star and writer... Ty Mitchell. Hello. Hi, I'm a big fan uh, of a grueling, grueling session with breaks and gaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Um, <laughs> so this is actually both of yours third, both of your yeah, what are words? Both of y'all's third episode. So both of you are now Scoobies. Yay! Yay, Scoobies! Josh, would you like to go first and give us your Buffy origin? Because while both of you have been on three episodes, you've never been on for like a full episode of Buffy. Do you know what? I think about this all the time. If Buffy the Vampire Slayer were still alive and out there in the world killing vampires, she would be my exact same age because we're both class of 99, which make, oh. would make her 39 years old. So um, I feel like I have a kinship. She's also born in the same month as I am canonically because it's on her gravestone. Um, but uh, I actually came to this show a little late. Uh, I started watching it on DVD when it was probably in season six. And I caught up okay. for season seven. Okay. And isn't season six one of your favorites? Yes. I love season six. I, I remember, I remembered you saying that uh, when you recorded with us, one of the episodes you recorded with us, it might've been the Sabrina episode that you were like, oh, I love season six. And I'm always looking for someone who actually loves this season to come on this season. <laughs> it's so good. I don't know why it gets such a bad rap. I mean, I do know why, but the people are wrong about it. <laughs> well, Philip, Philip and I will tell you plenty of reasons during this recording. Um, Ty, do you want to give us your Buffy origin? Yeah, I didn't watch Buffy when it originally aired. I watched it um, in, I want to say, 2014. I had just graduated college. I had just moved into Brooklyn. Um, I was dating a guy I, uh, who like loved Buffy and my roommates also were Buffy stands, And so they were all very encouraging of me to start watching Buffy. And I think it was honestly that I knew about the musical episode and I really wanted to watch the musical episode, but um, made sure that I, I, but I, I basically, so I watched the whole series in order to brace myself for the musical episode and obviously loved it and carried on through. But um it was like there for me through like a post-grad depressive spell, um, which I think is like a really good time to get into, to, to get into Buffy. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, do you, do you, either of you remember like the first episode you watched or because you watched it on DVDs, did you just like start from the beginning? Like Ty, I watched the musical episode first in college and it was later that I watched the series, maybe a year later. 
Well, I didn't watch the musical episode first. I just knew about it, and I was like oh. going to. I was like about to watch it, and then I was like, "This like, uh, I need to like know what this is. What's going on here? Like, I need the backstory." I think it was because of like gotcha. my roommates too. Where like you should just watch the whole thing. So the first episode I watched was the first episode. Yeah, same except for the musical. But similarly to Ty, I just moved to Brooklyn and I didn't have a job yet, and I had nothing but like swaths of time and was really depressed. <laughs> and that, that's the only way I can make it past season one. I've still never watched season one again, but I've watched the, the rest <laughs> of the series like three or four times. <laughs> I have seen Welcome to the Hellmouth so many fucking times from trying to turn people on to Buffy. <laughs> it's hard. It's so... I tell people to pick up in season two. See, uh, I. I understand that logic, but for me, I'm always like, but you need to know where like the pieces are when they start. Of course and, like... you do. But I, I mean, to be honest, I don't even love season two. I, I, I think the show finds itself in season three and that's just where I stand. Huh? I mean, season three is my favorite. I think season two, the angel storyline is good, but yeah, they don't quite, they weren't confident with like their direct serialized storytelling as they become. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of like weird standalones in between where it's like, why isn't she hunting Angelus? Like, She's just kind of dicking around. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Um, so we are here today to discuss the Buffy season six episode, Normal Again, which is one of my least favorite episodes of Buffy the Vampire that Slayer. That just kills me. That just kills me. It's so bad. <laughs> All of you, I'm the only one who is pro Normal Again, it seems. Uh, Josh, I thought I was like, oh, well, Josh will be a good guest because it's like kind of like leans into some horror tropes and he likes season six. So he probably likes this episode. I, there's a lot I like about it without actually liking the episode. I um, I love the Halloween two vibes of her like hospital smock in the scary hospital. <laughs> I think the demon is truly scary. Um, but one thing that this show does a couple of times that I don't like on this show or any other is like the whole is she insane isn't she was this all made up or wasn't it it's just a trope that i find sort of tedious because we as the audience know that she's not insane and so we're just like ahead of the episode before it even begins and um so in that respect it always kind of just feels like a waste of time to me that's fair ty do you want to give your rebuttal as to why you because ty since we like started talking about having uh, Ty being on, Ty wanted to be on for this episode. Like this was like one of his favorites. So would you like give us a rebuttal as to why you love this episode? Oh my god! Like already. <laughs> 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 well, no, I want to. I, I was remembering something I said to you when we did the like when we were we did, we weren't recording for it, but when we were getting ready to do the Patreon episode, I think I told you mm-hmm. how season six is kind of like a Rihanna album of like Buffy seasons, <laughs> like not including anti and that it's like all these kind of hit, 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 hit. But like as an album, it's not really, it's not like an album. <laughs> so like season six has all of these, like, like I remember the most episodes I think from season six of any season, even if I cannot for the life of me, like, piece together the the story arc of it until the last huh. like two episodes you know all right and uh, i do remember you making that comparison because I, I told that. i told someone that i forget someone i was talking to about season six because they were like well who who have you had on that liked season six and i was like well ty mitchell compared it to a rihanna album <laughs> oh, okay you did remember that <laughs> What I think is so, what's clever about it though is that, I mean, I agree with Ty in that respect, but what I think is clever about season six is it's really hard to transition a show from a teenage show to an adult show and having adulthood be the sort of big bad of the season and having Buffy 
have to worry about part-time work and paying the rent. And I, I think that that's just really clever. Whether or not every episode is successful or the season arc is successful, I just really love that new aspect of the show in season six. It's very dark and depressing too. And I think people are put off by how sad it is. But being that age is really sad and hard. So I just thought it was clever. Well, and I think that for all that seasons one and two are, and you guys talk about, like you guys used to talk about this on the podcast, is that seasons one and two take like high school anxieties and like um, put the, and, and they create these fantasy metaphors out of them, you know, like feeling invisible or um, being bullied by popular kids and stuff like that get, get kind of like um, amplified into these like actual monsters and demons. And then I think when you get to season six, they do something really similar, but instead of it being high school anxieties, it's the anxieties of an adult woman. And like one of the things that I love about season six is that the big bad um, is a bunch of ordinary misogynists. And I feel like people say that all the time about season six. It's like, oh, it's so cool how it's just normal guys who are like kind of the villains. And 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 I think that Dark Willow is a function of like misogyny being the big villain of season six. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I like how repeatedly like the trio tries to make Buffy feel crazy um, or fucks with her identity. And so the the anxiety of an adult woman is adult men are making me feel crazy. Um, and so to kind of amplify that into these situations like um, time lapses or turning invisible or all the way up until like questioning the, the, the truth of your own reality um, is I think really, really powerful in like getting this point across that like, like that 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 Buffy is now reckoning with a very adult um set of anxieties um that are like fundamentally like uh uh fueled by men <laughs> like bad men no and i and i i agree i think i i think i agree with you josh like i think they do do a good job of like showing you like oh this is a depressing age when you're kind of like floundering and you're like well, I'm done with school, but like, what the fuck do I want to do with my life? You know? And I mean, I'm 37 and I still often feel that way. Like I relate and Buffy's depression, I think is really well written, but I just don't think, um, I don't know. I feel like season five pulled together, like Buffy's depressed as shit. Like her mom died. Her sister isn't real. Like in the gift, she, when she sits down next to Giles and she's like about to cry and she's like, I killed Angel. I just, I wish my mom were here. And she, you know, is showing you that she's depressed, but still knows she has to do this shit. I don't know. In season six, there's a little bit too much of them all just sitting around the house. I don't know. Yeah. I I understand. There's no season in which Buffy is not depressed. (laughs) Like season two kicks off with Buffy being depressed. (laughs) You're right. But I guess it's because she's come back from the dead. And so it's maybe more existential and acute. Like, I think the scene with her and Tara in a, the last episode Philip was on for in Dead Things, right? Philip wasn't it that oh, one where she ends with Tara? And it and they, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's just crying and is like, "There has to be something wrong with me. Why do I feel this way?" And I feel like that's pretty real for depression. But I don't know. There's just like too many. Like this episode hits all the beats that we already hit, where Buffy's like depressed and sitting around. And yeah, for me, that. that's why I'm like, I don't need to like do them again. I don't. They're not like enjoyable to relive. But so let's uh, get into the episode. 
Well, I just want to like respond. I do agree. I definitely agree with that criticism. Like, I do think it's it's it like where it falls in the season. It's like we we already have already done this. Like, yeah. especially with the with Gone, like with the Invisible. It's like really yeah. addressing the exact same things as Gone. And yes. so, like, I agree. It feels very like like okay, like maybe we could have put this earlier, or it could have been like a three story arc of the trio making like three episode arc of I don't know. And yeah. it's it's making subtext text in the clumsiest way possible. And there are so many moments throughout the episode where it's all it's like it's it's doing that thing where it thinks it's being clever by pointing out uh sort of inconsistencies. Uh and it's or, or it's pointing out like how obvious something is. And it's instead of being clever, it's just sort of really irritating to me. <laughs> um and, and but, i'm sorry Di, yeah. i don't mean to like us the shit on the episode you like <laughs> no that's i'm i was i am prepared for that <laughs> you you did tweet you were ready to fight on slayer fest today because <laughs> well, i was quickly realizing that i had the minority opinion <laughs> <laughs> uh but so getting into the episode um they kind of get right in this is one of the few episode we get right into like the whole point of the episode right away like buffy goes to see the trio they sick that demon on her that is wearing like a trash bag and a helmet um and it stabs her it's right couture, away Ian. <laughs> it, it is that demon is 2010 era lady gaga <laughs> she would have glasses that were those eyes she would <laughs> i mean um, you're not wrong that is full monster <laughs> ball definitely uh josh so a thing i wanted to ask you so the fight scene is like really weird in this opening it's like very like choppy do you when you're writing a script for like a show is that kind of just like has nothing to do with what you're writing or would like is that something you would write it in like make it choppy make it whatever or is it kind of like here's a fight scene no, probably, usually we would just say, like, here's a fight scene. We actually specifically, like, don't do these on Sabrina because they're kind of just off-brand for Sabrina, but, you know, she's not, like, a kung fu fighter like Buffy right, is. Right. Um, but they're also just hard to do. I mean, unless it's your whole show, like Buffy or Kung Fu or Xena or something like that, they're just, like, kind of hard to pull off. And, in fact, there's a lot, especially in the early seasons of Buffy, where you can tell that Double is just, like, a dude. <laughs> with a blonde wig on <laughs> yeah that's a thing i've noticed a lot when i'm uh like screen capping stuff i'll like pause it and i'm like oh that's that's clearly doesn't look anything like faith or buffy that's that are fighting in this scene right yeah it's, like, it's fully a man <laughs> yeah <Fully. laughs> and the wigs um, are so bad it's always the wigs that you can tell i oh, mean yeah, rupaul would clock that wig in like a heartbeat <laughs> So we get Buffy gets stabbed, you know, in the opening, and immediately we see her go to the asylum. <laughs> I have in my notes, um, first I have in my notes, Demon's Cloak is kind of fierce, and then I said, Come on, Coke Nail. <laughs> <laughs> so I So I have a question. Uh does this demon's venom specifically make everyone he stings think that they're in an institution? Or like is that is that his superpower? Or is it some like does it is it like a venom that just taps into your mental state and Buffy is already in this really depressed place and that's where this delusion comes from? I, I want to say the latter. Um, I'm curious what you boys think. Well, I have to I have to confess I was late today and so I'm unprepared and I didn't rewatch the episode. Is this demon not the one that's on the ceiling above the bed? No. 
Oh my god, that's the one I have in my head for this episode. That's why I was like, this demon is truly terrifying. Now I'm Googling this demon, and I feel so stupid because this demon is truly a coke nail. Uh, not oh, this, demon. Demon, this demon is a little monster, definitely. Oh my god. <laughs> what episode am I thinking of? I'm such an idiot. You're thinking of the Queller demon from uh, Listening to Fear. Yeah, that one is really scary. Yes, that one is like one of the few that actually like creeps me out because it's like a weird big cockroach demon thing. Yeah. In my like sometimes like when I'm if I have extra time before the episodes, I'll like look at all the Wikipedia entries and like look at the Buffy wiki. Um, In All My Children in 2011, Sarah Michelle Gellar came back for a cameo in which she played like a really well-dressed, well-accessorized woman with like great hair who is brought to the hospital because she's insisting she sees vampires oh. <laughs> and like in the buffy wiki they say that like the theory is that that's buffy from normal again because she's like insisting she sees vampires i watched the scene before we recorded today and oh boy is it rough um she actually utters the line like the doctor seeing her is like a main character who like says she doesn't really work for the hospital anymore but still sees her i don't know it's you know, all my children, whatever. She says she sees vampires and the doctor says, well, they are really popular these days. And Sam Richard Geller's character says, I saw them before they were trendy. Oh my God. <laughs> That's fierce. <Yeah. laughs> That's fierce. I, I like watched it and was like, oh my God, give me a break. Because it's oh, kind of like a dig like at Twilight, it. right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, you like vampires? Name three of their albums. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you fuck a house down with a vampire i don't think so <laughs> uh but yeah so that's a thing that is out there uh i'm going well, to watch that immediately after we finish recording this <laughs> well so let's can we talk a little bit about like so both so both the writer and director are first timers right so it's yeah. rick rosenthal who's who is like a, a guest director on this episode right and then mm-hmm. Diego Gutierrez, who was Joss's assistant, wrote the episode. Oh, look at you bringing the fun facts. I did not mm-hmm. know that he was Joss's assistant. That was what I gathered, oh. but I didn't like fully verify it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was in the wiki. Now you say that, it makes sense because there are sort of, there are certain parts of the episode where it, it is just, it feels majorly clunky in that, um, yeah. There's kind of no real B plot aside from uh, a cup, like maybe one scene with with Willow and Tara at the beginning, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it sort of it does just like it rehashes themes which have already been revisited over and over again. Um, and nobody, I mean, people that they're, they're talking in, everyone's talking in character, and you know the actors know these these characters by now. But it's like there's there's none of that sort of like zinginess or the verve that normally lifts like the dread and sadness there's not there's no like there's no like palate cleanser or anything on a normal tv show though i mean you can't give the writer all of the discredit because the whole room would have come up with the story together and then usually the showrunner rewrites the fuck out of any writer anyway so if this isn't on um if this isn't comparable to the other episodes then that's totally joss whedon's bad and not this poor staff writer you know <laughs> fair fair and to defend it again i like i agree that it i agree that it, agree that it rehashes angel. it rehashes things that we've already done before but like if i had to pick between if i had to, if i had to keep one between normal again and gone uh where she's invisible and the episode where they do the time lapse stuff and or the groundhog's day mm-hmm. one 
Oh man, I can't. Never mind. I love the Groundhog's Day scene. Okay, so <laughs> I, say, I love that episode. <laughs> I, I feel I feel I should just probably like hold my hands up at this point. I I have been on the podcast while talking about Gone and Dead Things, and now this episode. So I feel like I've just been hit with all of the really horrible ones that have that kind of covered <laughs> the same ground. I feel like now I feel like I'm being punished. So maybe yeah, maybe my maybe my complaint with this specific episode is actually uh, it's a it's a cumulative thing from from the other ones that I've been sort of forced. To, to endure again like if i had to choose between normal again and gone i would pick normal again i mean i love that buffy is like a total freak in gone but like i i like i like this i like the standalone story of normal again it's it's it feels like a bottle episode almost like even though it's not it does yeah and where i will agree with you ty is like this episode does have an aesthetic and a mood that in tone that's all unique to this particular episode, which I think is is actually good. Maybe I'm being swayed by Ty. Maybe I like this episode. Well, and that's part of what <laughs> makes it so memorable too. It's like it's like when you asked me to do a season six episode, and like I'd seen the ones you've already done so far. I was like, you know, like normal again is the first episode that comes to mind. Besides, yeah, once more with I mean, feeling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe like... I agree. <laughs> Okay, so so moving on to the actual episode. Um, so after we, we, we go to the credits, and then uh, it opens up, and Willow is stalking Tara at college, still setting amazing boundaries, um, and sees her with a nameless, uh, vaguely sapphic-looking uh, classmate. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's who who is never seen again. Uh but yeah. that, and this is like the one scene that takes place basically outside of the A plot. Um and it's kind of building on like the wedding and and sort of but but so it's like yeah Z- uh, Willow is is trying to reconnect with Tara by sort of following her and she has this sort of uh very early noughties inner monologue about oh should we go for coffee and gay love and things that normal human beings would 100 percent say yeah um, I wrote down, coffee food kisses and gay love is going to be my new grinder bio <laughs> <laughs> i i did find that uh, i mean allison hannigan's so good in willow's like in willow's shoes at this point that it still felt like very willow where she's like just panicking and stressing and like hyping herself up, but hyping herself up in like the worst way where she's too stressed to do anything. I find it kind of cute, right? I don't know. I thought the scene was cute. She takes accountability for it later, which kind of makes it okay for me. Like she is like, yes. okay, yeah. I'm being crazy jealous. Like, like it probably wasn't. And, the, that and they have a conversation about it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that that moment does show, it gives us this rare kind of glimpse at how insulated the Scoobies are. Like, yeah. and Tara isn't actually, like, Tara is actually capable of, like, living a life outside of the Scoobies and, like, might have other friends. Whereas, like, Willow, especially when Buffy was dead, I think that, like, Willow and Tara start getting to this total U-Haul moment um, where they're just, like, be- that, and that's where you start cultivating a really toxic relationship. No, I was gonna say, we, I, I always, like, very fondly look upon Willow and Tara, and I think the fandom does as well but yeah sometimes it's like ooh, they were actually like getting pretty toxic i mean mostly on willow's end but like willow was just kind of like yeah i don't they they weren't headed in a like forever love cutesy couple kind of way two 20 year olds playing house right yes (laughs) i mean that's always the conceit like they're like maybe 21 so like are they really like are we really like doing forever couples right now you know 
Well, that's like Xander running a construction business at 22 or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Buying a condo and running a business. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that now. <laughs> if, if we're applying yeah. real world logic to these people at this age, then Xander and Anya should definitely never have got married, but I still hate him for leaving her at the altar. Yes. Of course. Yes. <laughs> it's like on Riverdale when those kids are running three businesses and then are still honor students and solving mysteries. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, so I, 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 yeah. I had to bow out of Riverdale when um, when Veronica started running a speakeasy under a diner. <laughs> I was like, no. one of her businesses. <laughs> She's got a couple, I think. It does really it does really feel as though like perhaps they had already had this this episode sketched out for a while and then they threw in Xander returning, they threw in the Willow and Tara stuff kind of like at the last second to to like bring it like they like almost like they weren't sure where to place this episode when the seat with the, within the season and then like kind of threw those in to like situate it i could totally see that yeah i i yeah. feel like i mean josh you write for you've written for a few shows now um mm-hmm. that's that's a thing right where it's like oh we have this idea that we will use but like yeah. maybe sometimes it'll be like a season later or something right absolutely and then also sometimes you'll have a sh- you know an episode sketched out and then your executives outside of the writer's room will be like, oh, but we need to check in on Willow or we need to, you know, check right. in on Xander. And so sometimes your hand kind of gets forced in that way, too. Huh. Yeah, because I know that I think I think Drew Greenberg. Yeah, when he was on for his episode, which his first episode is where Buffy and Spike fuck the house down. Like that was always in Joss's plan for season six was that they fuck a house down. <laughs> So like his episode always had to end with that. (laughs) And there's something kind of like mean to the viewers to be like, oh, you want Anya to come back evil? You're going to have to wait a little bit longer for that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Because that's really what you're looking forward to at the end of Hell's Bells. It's like, uh uh-oh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I get why they had to take that space, though, because it was like... I. Oh, so yeah, let's talk about that. So then isn't it the next scene where Xander comes in? And everyone's way too fucking easy on him. They immediately yes. forgive him and they say, oh, you don't have to explain to us. And I would be like, no, 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 no. We are best friends. We should be the ones to hold you to some account for your behavior. Because as we love feminist. you and, like, we know we, and we know that you, yeah, <laughs> as feminists, but also as people who like want you to do better in, in life. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like it's fine that, like, of course, they still love him, but to be like, hey, I love you, but, like, what the fuck were you doing? And then, you know? oh, my God, his, so his, his answer is, things just got so complicated, which is, uh. whenever a straight white man says things are complicated, all he means is he is being expected to act like an adult, and he doesn't like it. I agree with you guys, but in my lived experience, I've gone through two times now of being dumped in, like, just a horrific way, and that person is absolutely the villain and their friends completely gather around them and just ignore you so that's like my real life lived experience and that's what they're doing with xander even though he's objectively an asshole i feel like in real life his friends would rally around him it's just like they you could know? have put him in the doghouse for this whole episode they could have just been mad at him this whole episode. it would have it would and then it would have been so much funny it would have been so much greater if like when buffy like uh ties him up well, because when she does fight him later, it's like kind of satisfying that she finally takes a swing at him. Oh my god! When she <laughs> lands him without frying pan, it's fucking brilliant. No, <laughs> I get upset. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, oh, but, well, we'll, we'll we'll get to it. But no, he. I say we're gonna get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so then, um, Buffy runs into Spike while patrolling, and they have yes. more weird, dark sexual banter. Uh, and then Willow and Xander come along. I also that- didn't. 
Sorry, go I, on. I felt like Spike would have known because he's like friends with Clem and Clem was at the wedding. Like, I feel like Spike totally would have heard from like demon friends that the wedding didn't happen. Oh, yeah. So Buffy tells him uh, that Xander left uh, Anya at the altar. Yeah, he, like, and, didn't and, know. And then it's like the worst timing ever because then Willow and Xander come along. And then, uh, but then Xander tries to start a fight with Spike who can't hit him back. Just again, exemplifying how he is the worst. He's absolutely the worst. I think when you talk <laughs> about the best part of this scene though, which is the hats. <laughs> <laughs> it's California. So what, what, where, recorded. What, what season is this? <laughs> The hat on Buffy is like a beige, poofy, like mushroom cap, and but then the hat on Willow is this like I wouldn't even know how to describe it. It's like a, it's like it kind of covers her eyes. I'm just really impressed at like what they're trying to experiment with short hair season six Buffy or something. <laughs> this is like in, oh my god, I'm looking at the hat now on Google Images. It's like very uh, Carmen Sandiego, almost with little. She's wearing a little trench coat. I love it. Willow <laughs> rocks it. Buffy's hat is not as good. Yeah. Remember when Willow and Tara were wearing like short ponchos all through season four? And like weird <laughs> medieval, um, what should we call it? Um, those things that go around your waist that medieval women wear. Um, corset. Corsets. Corsets, yeah. Corsets yeah. and ponchos all through season four. <laughs> hey, they, they also wore some corsets in season six. Don't sell them. Oh, they wore the musical number. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Of. Yeah. Yeah, Tara's literally wearing a full-on corset. Um, uh, yeah, I this scene. I mean, I the podcast does get a lot of flack for hating on Xander, and I just feel like it's not going to get better for the rest of this season because, oh boy, does he work a nerve like him beating up Spike, and like of course Spike is a problem as well. But usually when it's Spike versus Xander, Spike's in the right, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Spike giving him shit for leaving Anya like good I'm glad someone is like yes give him shit please Spike do. And, yeah it's like it's like in the friendship group I mean Spike is not technically one of their friends but he's kind of in right. the group and he's like he is the one who has the freedom to be the asshole and call people out he's he is that Cordelia role right well that's what I was sort of saying earlier Spike's the only one who can do that because he's the only one who's not friends with Xander or Anya like of course Xander's friends are going to rally around him whether he's wrong or right true yeah his friends I just hate it. I feel like he probably likes, at least remotely likes Anya better than he would like Xander, right? I mean, who doesn't? And it's pro- it's probably <laughs> the worst. It's probably the worst thing about season six is Xander, <laughs> seeing as how he saves the day with one of his right. horrible speeches. Connor Habib talked about that when when you had him on about how the Xander <laughs> speeches are the worst part of the whole show, and I completely agree with him. I think of that every time I say I like a Xander speech. I think of Connor saying, oh, no, I hate his speeches, all of them, because I do like the yellow crayon speech. I will say that. I hate it. <laughs> but so then, wait, where, where are we? Fill- so so, <laughs> so then Buffy has another flash, uh, and this is oh. where she sees her parents, Um which is like, right? I, I I believe I think when I first watched this, it was like a that was a bit of an emotional kicker. It was like, oh, they're bringing like Joyce is part of this delusion and her dad, but like nobody cares about him. Um, and so she sort of faints. I in do the remember graveyard. gasping. Like I remember the first time I watched that. It's a gag. Yeah, I'm just really glad that this wasn't the last time we saw Joyce in the series because that would have been horrible. 
I think we need a we need like a, a a button or like a sound anytime that there's a black character with a speaking role on Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote him. You know, it's like black character with speaking role. Alert! 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 <laughs> and he doesn't die. And he doesn't die. <laughs> he doesn't have a big Jamaican accent. When we get to Robin in season seven, I was like, oh wow, it only took seven years. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think in like season two and three, there are like three different like male teachers who are black that like show up in the episode and die immediately after. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, I was about to say, well, I think you brought up, Ian, how there's an a, appearance from dad, like, I think once a season, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just never right. <laughs> it just never really <laughs> like makes sense. I always, every time her dad is around, you just think like, what are you doing, dude? How can you be this much of a deadbeat and no one talks about it ever? <laughs> is, he, well, is it even the same actor each time? Yes. It, it, weird, it is, weirdly, yeah. it is. Yes. <laughs> Which always surprised me. It could be anyone. He's yeah. in the hallucination oh, as though he was also dead. It's like, it's like he's just it's weird. Yeah. He's just, he's just, it's just weird to even, it's like, it's like maybe even don't even bother putting him in the episode. Yeah, like it would have worked. I guess it's supposed to be like, maybe he was a good dad in the delusion, right? I well, guess? she says to Dawn, it's like, like they were together. Our parents were together. Right. And I think it, it's meant, it's like a continuity thing. Like, uh, so in season one, there was that Nightmares episode and Buffy's nightmare right. was that her being the slayer and all of her strange behavior was what caused her parents' divorce. That so was, that it's was like in, It makes sense that in this yeah, and and they kind of they 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 made that delusion that nightmare a lot more effective and a lot crueler in that episode I think than in this one because he actually says it to her. I I disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> of, of course you do. Of course you do. Ty came here to fight. <laughs> like I think nightmares is doing what you're accusing normal again of doing. Huh. I don't know. Well, but she's a kid there, so I feel like. It makes more sense for, like, a kid to be like, oh, it was my, like, you know what I mean? It feels so abrupt and, like, totally uncalled for when it happens in nightmares. <laughs> it's like, right, whoa, fair. how did we get here? Like, in this in this show <laughs> with, like, with like scary clowns, you know? That, that episode also was dark with, the like, the abused child, like, by being abused yeah. by, like, a throwaway coach character. Yeah, it's just like, oh, also the whole monster is a child that was abused and the monster is a coach that abused him like ooh. and the child is also the demon that the master is like mentoring or something that always kind of that like confused me even on the third watch sorry we're going back to season one we're back in season six <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so um the, so they they bring buffy home and, right, and uh she explains it to willow and thunder and dawn like what she's experiencing yes and i was glad that we got there because i don't know why i didn't like, of course, I remembered this episode, but I didn't. I thought she just never told them until it was too late. But I'm glad I was like, oh, there is a scene where she does tell them before it's too late. Like, it's not like well, she's trying to kill them while she's telling them. That's a trope, right? Like, there are so many shows and films where it's like, oh, I, I something weird is happening to me. Like, oh, I've been bitten by this monster or whatever. And I'm just going to pretend everything's fine and everything is clearly not fine, but I'm just not going to tell anyone. Whereas it's like, by this point in the show, Buffy even in her depressed state knows that like, Oh no, something weird is going on. I, I have to tell people. And I know that they will believe me straight away. 
Well, because last time she didn't say anything was uh, when the like time lapse was had. Like she's aware that someone is fucking with her sense of reality at this point. Yeah, yeah, and she knows that like that monster stabbed her, so she kind of like immediately knows that oh, this is what happened. The monster stabbed me, and that's why I'm having these. She like, also has like six seasons of experience with this kind of shit. So <laughs> if she didn't know, then you would be so frustrated and yelling at the screen. Oh, you mean like in Hell's Bells where they have some demon (laughs) and everyone is just like, this seems legit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, and I I actually do like this scene because I like that she's, you know, just like laying it all out. And Willow, you know, when she says to Dawn, oh, it's like before we came to Sunnydale and Dawn has a look on her face and Willow realizes, oop, well, everyone's going to start spiraling. So let's say we need to do some research. Like she just stands up. And like knows that Dawn would probably feel some kind of way because it's like, oh, Dawn's not there. So she's happy without Dawn. Like that's her happy delusion is sans Dawn. Um, But like also understandable. Um, So then, you know, they start to do the research thing. But then Willow and Buffy stay behind to talk. Uh, And this is where they do the thing that I fucking I knew you guys, I knew you would hate this. I knew you would hate this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no so this so this comes this this comes later in the episode i think i think the thing you're oh, about it? to talk about yeah but sh- shall we just skip ahead to it when she adds the backstory yeah yeah so that's, we'll, we'll yeah. get we'll get to here. that shortly okay it doesn't <laughs> does it no um okay so um so then it, we cut to uh, the trio. And again, it's like, this is just like a bit that's plopped, like dropped into right, the episode right. just to like, let us know where in the season we are. And Jonathan's starting to go stir crazy in the basement. Um, okay. So then, so then Willow is doing research and she, she realizes that the demons stinger can create the antidote, which is, he's basically just like the, the same as the telepathic demons from earshot. Like he's a literal MacGuffin. Like he does not actually matter as a, a villain whatsoever. Um, and then, so, and, and all this while Buffy's having flashes where the doctor is pointing out how, in, how inconsistent her internal mythology is becoming with all of these retcons and, and different things. And then we have the biggest retcon of them all, which is bit, uh, Buffy uh, revealing after six years that she actually was in an institution uh, after she became the Slayer. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> I did not find that yeah. retcon to be invasive. I didn't really? feel that that really fucked with much. I think it's weird. I mean, obviously, like, it's weird that, like, it, it, it definitely distorts the whole moment of her coming out to her mom as, like, the Slayer. But, like, I don't really think right. it fucks with the continuity, does it? I think it kind of does. And I say this as somebody who works on a show that is, like, constantly <laughs> doing this every episode. Not to talk shit about my own show. But it's just, like, it feels like it was, like, a uh, a speech that's convenient in that moment without giving thought to the larger series. To me, I mean, I don't think it's a major invasive moment, to Ty's point, but it, it, it does bump me a little bit, as as people say in writer's rooms. Really? Me. I'm bumped by this. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah 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 for sure it's just i think it just <laughs> it, it, it's that. sort of it, it's the way that she delivers it and, and it's exactly like you say josh it's it's this it's emotional in the moment because she's delivering it with such vulnerability and, and willow is so affected by it but then the moment you start to think about it it falls apart like so was this before or after she burned down the gym like at what point did she start freaking out about the vampires and have the you know be, when was she committed exactly it would have been between the movie and the pilot <laughs> right she's never seen a vampire before the movie 
Right, right, and and I, oh, it's but it's like, but then she says, oh, and eventually, my I guess my parents just forgot. Like, I don't think that's a thing that would happen. So yes, that's my. This is my biggest issue. Like, I I do think it's not that intrusive. You're being very fair, Ty. Um, and I'm not trying to discredit your opinion. Um, but I do think for me, the thing that it is intrusive on is her coming out to her mom and her mom being so shocked. It felt like. That was a moment where her mom would have been like, we've been through this, Buffy. That's not real. Like, that would have been the appropriate line if her she had institutionalized her daughter for thinking vampires were real prior to this. Like, it just, it, it doesn't make sense that that wouldn't have come up in that conversation of her coming out to her mom. Okay. And that's, that, that's what, like, grinds me a little bit. But, um, bumps I don't know you. if you all remember... <laughs> yeah that bumps me uh i don't know if you all remember in killed by death which is one of my <laughs> other least favorite buffy episodes oh and they give her the dead cousin yes and they suddenly throw in that when she was in the hospital she watched her cousin die when she was a kid and it's never brought up again Very Jane it, it really doesn't matter <laughs> for the pl- like we could have had that whole episode without that plot point thrown in that I believe more because, like, who really cares about their cousins? <laughs> like, you can have a dozen different cousins. Uh, like, world. oh, yeah, there was just some TV going around. Because, like, the whole point is, like, they're like, oh, that really traumatized Buffy. And if the whole show is, like, Buffy going through trauma, I just feel like right. that would have been brought up at some point prior okay. My small rebuttal to the whole yeah, coming no, out scene right. with Joyce is that by the time she comes out to Joyce as the Slayer, Joyce has seen a lot of peril in Sunnydale. Like, so it is okay. a little bit more plausible. It makes sense that it is more plausible to Joyce by that point after she's like already like she's already like attacked some like crazy people in the school, you know, like like has seen yeah. her daughter be attacked by actual danger. It does kind of I mean, obviously they did not really take into account i think that that moment when they added this in but like that would be if if like if i had to defend it that would be how i'd defend it (laughs) i also do think that like i think that perhaps there was something of an effort to normalize mental health navigation in that moment yeah that like oh you know like maybe we should send a message to like young like teenage girls who like have had uncomfortable like experiences navigating mental health care which is actually a really common experience and so i, I don't know i, I think to the sh- to the episode's credit like that th- that is cool to me um yeah no i i think this season sh- kind of strives for like uh, they're definitely like touching upon mental health conversations and this one it's like more explicit um because it's like oh she was like you know put in an institution and blah 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 so yeah, like, and and I mean, Josh, you said earlier in the episode that these actors know their characters, so they're selling it. I think um, Sam Michelle Gellar and Allison Hannigan are selling this moment, and I do buy that Buffy wouldn't have told her friends because Buffy's very like loner. I'm the hero. I you know I have to do all the saving. No one's saving me. So I buy that she wouldn't have told them. But I don't. I don't know. I just feel like there yeah. would have been a conversation with her and Joyce and- or something at some point. I also just, I'm too, I mean, I'm guess I'm sort of with Ty a little bit too. I just don't, I don't think any of these are major show fuck ups. I just feel like if in the context of going scene by scene in this episode, they, they bump me a little bit, but I, I don't, I also don't think that they're like major. Okay. And they, uh, it did, they did, they did make it sort of officially canon afterwards because they had like an official comic book 
about Comics, her yeah, time yeah. in the in the institution. I think they it's did. Called, um, Slayer yeah. interrupted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, because I that. I did like I did like those. I think is Pike in them? I think Pike is in them. Like Luke Perry's character from the movie. From the movie, yeah, I, ne- I, I never actually read them, but I think so. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, so I was gonna. Uh, I was, sorry, what? Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry, it's a room of four gay men, so we all keep talking. Yeah, the same uh, sorry, my cog, my cog. Um, I was, I was gonna like kind of save this for like the, the end, but like one of one of the things that I, one of the things that I really love about this episode that really does it for me is that it expands the Buffy universe in this way. That's really fun for me. Like even just like being able to speculate on like all of the show thus far and what its analogs could have been in the normal again universe or in the asylum Buffy universe is like this kind of like world expansion that I find really, really cool, even though they don't really explore it in the rest of the show, but it's cool. So it's cool to know that they did explore it in the, uh, in the comics, comics a little yeah. bit yeah and i think but i think that's also something that annoys a lot of fans is it's like oh you're gonna open up this universe and then never really follow up on it yes and and i know some people like don't like don't really consider the comics but i mean they you know they're there and they're considered canon so whatever then god what what happens next philip my notes are a little hazy <laughs> at the end here <laughs> so um so then we have uh xander and spike out hunting the demon uh the world's shittiest double act where xander is kind of just constantly being a, a dick to spike and, and 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 vice versa um then uh buffy and dawn have this conversation where uh dawn is just, and again it's like this plot just keeps like it's like so many storylines in season six it's highlighting how completely alone and abandoned dawn feels um and so in that way like this is like it's very very naturalistic like practically every every other episode where it's like oh she realizes she's not in this fantasy world where buffy is like and so once again she feels like oh you you don't want to be here you want to be somewhere else you you'd rather escape to a delusion where i'm not there um and buffy says uh just like this really sort of non sequitur line she says i should be taller than you and it's like it's I true and it's kind of like love that. <laughs> i didn't love it but i was like it was weird yeah it's like this great almost an in-joke because michelle trachtenberg is like a full foot hot taller than sarah michelle Gellar. yeah oh, you're, you're, you're supposed to be 15 and your sister's supposed to be 20 but you look like a giant next to her um but it's like almost like like now that the doctor has put all these doubts in her head, Buffy is starting to doubt the truth of everything around her. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's like, it, it was one of the few moments where I was like, it was, it was so weird and so specific that that sold the the story for me in, in a way that a lot of the other scenes didn't. Uh, and the way that she's almost like desperately kind of trying to cling to the reality. She's like, Oh, uh, we need to make things right. Dawn. We need to work on these things. Have you been letting Willow do your chores again? And she gets really intense and it's just, it's kind of really unnerving and it's like the beginning of this sort of spiraling in the episode where actually Buffy starts to become the the threat of the episode. Everyone hates Dawn, but it but the truth for me is that like the presence of Dawn, even if you don't like her character, allows the show to do some really cool things and allows the show to exploit television tropes in a way that's really fun, even if the character can be sort of a pill sometimes. Like when they introduce her in season five and then don't explain it for several episodes, it's so clever because they're making fun of the TV trope of like introducing a new sibling <laughs> character to boost ratings. And it's just really clever. I, 
I love the presence of Dawn, even when I don't so really I, like the character. I, I, I love Dawn in season seven, once they figure out, like, what age she is and how to write her consistently and not just, like, moan. Like, I actually think she goes through a great arc of kind of growing up and becoming really capable and, and actually becoming part of the group. In season five, she's just this little kid that needs to be protected. And I think in season six... And it's like a perfectly reasonable, natural thing for her to go through, like this constant feeling of neediness and that nobody wants to be around her. But it's the fact that they go back to that well so many times and they don't mine any new material from it. It's just the, you don't want to be around me. Get out, get out, get out. Um, and it's sort of <laughs> tired. But but no, I, I agree that like she she works as like an asset to the show. And, and I, I do kind of love what they do with her later on. Yeah, you know what? I've actually been, because um, I get ahead of myself, I've actually been like... Uh... I'll like speed watch some episodes to look to like get an idea what I'm going to do for the like photos that I'm going to take for every episode. And they really do do a good job. Like Dawn is at her best in season seven. Like it's like, okay, we figured out what age she is. She's, you know, very like 15 and she's, we're making her a confident teenager and we're having her train with Buffy, which does make sense because she's always in danger. Um, and like, I don't know, I just I like her a lot better in season seven. Well, and we have to. I mean, in order for it to be plausible for her to to, to succeed Buffy as a Slayer, like she, season six, Dawn, if they were like, you're a potential, you might be the next Slayer. We'd be like, yeah, fucking right. Right. <laughs> so for them to like, yeah, when they do the fake out of like, yeah. she might be, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like you're rooting for her. You're like, oh, that would actually yeah. be kind of cool for her, you know, by that point. Yeah. And they even do a better job of, I think, styling her in season seven like they style her as a confident teenager who like kind of like almost the way buffy dressed but you know the fashion of whatever that year was what 2003 2004 um right yeah yeah, before that they would dress her in like weird she's like an oshkosh bagosh overall or whatever (laughs) (laughs) it's like that and then turtlenecks and it's like "Mm, none of these yeah um yeah so then they bring they Spike and Xander bring Buffy the what is it like the blood of that demon that she has to drink? It's a cocktail. Uh, yeah, so they have it chained up. <laughs> they have it chained up in the basement, and and Willow makes the antidote, and everything's going to be okay except there are twenty minutes left in the episode, so they clearly. Are. <laughs> <laughs> and we only had one fight so far, and it was the beginning of the episode, so we need another one. Yeah, so she pours um, out pours out her serum. Yes, well, yes. Yeah, so, so, and and so, before that happens, uh, she is like on her bed with this thing of antidote, and Spike comes in, and he basically calls her out on all of her loner martyr bullshit, which is all true. Um, it's just horrible timing. Yeah, it's like he makes yeah. it makes him look like <laughs> such a bully because she's literally, literally feverish and curled up on her bed like a sick child, and he's just like yelling at her, being like, "Why don't you love me?" Um, and so basically like that is like the one final thing that pushes her over the edge. And so she pours it into the, into the bin. Um, and then she pretends that she's, she's feeling better. And and then uh, this is like a really, really sad moment from Willow where she's pretending that like she's taken the medicine and Willow says, Oh, it'll be nice to see you all better. And it's like that it's like, again, it's like a commentary on the entire season of, Oh, this is what it's like to be a friend of somebody who is chronically depressed. And it's like, I just want yeah. to see you do better. Like, right. so she's talking about like this specific instance, but also like this much bigger thing. Um, and again, it was like, that was one of the moments that really did work for me. Um, and I then love that cuts, moment, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and it's one of the moments where like the friendship actually like, yeah, it resonates. Um, so then it immediately, there's this very jarring cut to the next morning and Xander lets himself in. Uh, and you know, obviously, you know that something's not right because that's not the kind of style that the show does. And he's there monologuing obnoxiously about Spike uh, and about like, uh, oh, like, oh, and Spike like fancies you, but you'd never do that because that would be gross. Brr, brr, brr. And she just smacks him square in the face with a skillet. And oh, I felt that. I, I, I love that for her. <laughs> you know what I thought of watching this again? The Bandersnatch episode of Black Mirror. Oh, I never saw that oh. episode. Oh, mm. yes. It's fun. Oh, so I, my Black Mirror opinion is that I watched one episode and it stressed me the fuck out and I never watched it again because I was it's like, fun. I don't need this in my life. It was, um, God, I always get the mix up. Is it Bryce Dallas Howard or Jessica Chastain? I mixed it was Bryce Dallas Howard. Howard. Oh. Yeah. That, oh, I watched yeah. that episode. Yeah. It was the yeah. stressful like one the, for you? It, it's like the whole episode she's yeah, wait, wait, that's uh, a very stressful one, Ian. Yeah, I think maybe you better the say horror it. video game one is stressful. <laughs> well, so okay, well, it stressed me out as a person who's like anxious enough as it is, and like social media is like something I'm always looking at and is always affecting me in yeah. like the worst ways. And I'm like, God, I could see myself doing this. I could see myself crashing someone's wedding like a crazy person because I'm like, no, fucking love me, and like going to jail. I don't know. I just <laughs> found it a little too relatable. I didn't like Bandersnatch. I thought Bandersnatch was stressful because I was like, look, I don't want to be in charge of this story. Like, I want a passive experience <laughs> where you tell me a story. And if you didn't choose it fast enough, it would choose for you. I think and it was part of the, I think it was just, something it was of a failed experiment. And that, like, there was, there was perhaps a uh, misunderstanding of what people are looking for when they put on Black Mirror, which is to just sit back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't remember 100%. there was I went to watch it and I can't remember if it was at a friend's place or it, or I went to watch it myself but whatever device I had it wasn't you couldn't watch it on it because you couldn't pick like it only works on oh, certain yeah. devices yeah oh I think it was only on TVs and laptops like you couldn't use an iPad or so a it, phone. whatever whatever way I, I was remember. going to watch it it was like blah 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 cannot play and then I was like great I don't need to watch it ever I'm fine could you imagine <laughs> if they like disabled the Amazon if they disabled the fire stick yeah. because like Amazon's a competitor or something that would be fierce <laughs> <laughs> in like a gross so- capitalistic <laughs> way but like whatever <laughs> totally I, so I like that you added that you're like wait there. just so you know it's that <laughs> And with a good and lovely earth. <laughs> <laughs> so she meets up Xander. She like drags him down the steps. And we see that Willow is also um, tied up in the basement. Um, Which is a genuinely is the... unnerving moment. Yes. Yes, because I I think the whole... And Buffy Buffy looks so like dead-eyed. And Sarah Michelle Gellar is like, doing that really good. Where she's like, I'm clocked out. I'm not going to pretend you all are real people. I'm just going to kick the shit out of you and let this demon eat you. So, and I'll be good. So do we like, so we like Sarah's acting in this episode. I did. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to be like, because I don't. Well, I read, I read like an AV <laughs> club art- article that was like, really not like kind of annoyed by the way Sarah was doing the like, like catatonic state situation. I was very impressed by it. I, I, no, I, I, I oh, I I think she she does that sort of like stunned silence stoic thing really well like you know she did it in 
the weight of the world she did it you know she's been doing it kind of on and off all of season six where she kind of has these moments where she literally like leaves the building and she's just standing there like staring down the sink um and i think it it really works um and in, in this episode like in this moment in particularly like it feels genuinely creepy because it it kind of uh, reminded me of Oh, what was that season four episode with Faith? Uh, this year's girl, where we're seeing her through Faith's perspective, and it's like it's really unnatural to see her with that kind of dead stare because it's we're like, oh god, she's the heroine, but like she looks like a horror movie villain. Um, and so yeah, when she like when she walks upstairs and kind of yeah. calmly calls Dawn's name, it's truly creepy. Yes, and sh- and Buffy's character and I- is all wisecracks and shrugs and like whatever and like made up words and so for her to completely like not do that is so it, it like she she met it's she's using her stillness you know like there's so much good there's so much good stillness in this episode to me that like reminds me a lot of the I mean obviously it's not as good as the body but it, it reminded there are like when she's at the sink it reminded me a lot of the body. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I think Sam Michelle Geller's acting is really good, but also it's in, it's like, uh, it tracks with the character of Buffy, that if she's doing this, that's what she looks like when she's clocked out or when she's like focusing on doing a task. Like we've seen her do this before. So for me, it makes sense. I don't know. Josh, I'm sorry I interrupted you. People, I think people aren't um, appreciative enough of Sarah Michelle Gellar's talents because we really do have another example, which is Christy Swanson <laughs> playing this character. And I really like the movie, but Sarah Michelle, Sarah Michelle Gellar brings so yeah. much depth. Oh, yeah. to, I'm serious. She brings so much depth to this character who is all wisecracks and is outwardly tough, but we get a lot of moments of real vulnerability with Buffy on the show. And Sarah Michelle, Michelle Gellar really has that depth, just like right at the bat and call, you know, she can really just bring that up and, I think she's really good on the show. I mean, there are I don't things there. I will, I will concede, I, I, and I hope she never hears this, but, like, there are a lot of moments where I'm like, I don't know, but, like, when she's, whenever she's arguing, whenever she's, like, having a yelling match, I can't get into it. Or, like, like when, yeah. Oh, really? Whenever she's in, like, I, a I yelling match with Spike, or, like, especially with Angel, it's, like, it gets so heavy-handed and so kind of, like, like she's like squeezing it out and it like I can't I can't deal with it but when she like really gets into this kind of catatonic stillness like slowness and also I think what's great about this episode is the way that uh Don and Willow react to Buffy is also like very strong acting like I think the acting is really strong uh and in, in this episode and the 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 I, th- I think it is, I actually do find like I, I I like Rick Rosenthal's take on Buffy because of that well, no one ever comes for Willow, though. That's the thing that, I mean, I look, we all love Willow, and I feel like this is maybe controversial, but when I watch the show now, her, Alison Hannigan's, like, sort of infantilized, infantilized, like, baby speaking, really, I find insufferable, and that she's so good at it, though, that, like, the other actors start to yeah. do it, too, just based <laughs> on her performance, and it's sort of like this cancer that seeps through the show as all of these adults oh talking like God. babies. And no one ever talks about that, but people are so quick to criticize Sarah <laughs> Michelle Gellar. I forgot you said that to me before. That's real. It's true, though. You well, know. and that's part of why she's such a good kind of like seeing it's her go true. dark in season six is so satisfying because it's like you kind of knew that it was there a lot. Yeah, yeah exactly. using her whole voice. <laughs> her erect, she's just like being this bad girl who's like fucked up on magic drugs and like stumbling down the street with Dawn. It's just like this is like this. Uh, you were that girl that I knew you were, Allison Hannigan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I feel the exact same way. 
I mean, my favorite character is Faith. It always has been and always will be. And that's who I get whenever I take the quiz of, like, which Buffy character are you? I agree with her about Buffy. I'm just taking that quiz to make sure you get Faith, because I, I, I do the same thing. Uh, <laughs> you. I've, so I've taken great. this a few times. I mean, I think we're, 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 all faith, we're all Faith stands here. I mean, she's my favorite, too. Um, but yeah, so, so back to the episode. Um, so then Buffy uh, goes upstairs to Dawn's room uh, and is basically like... Positive vibes only. I need to be healthy. I'm removing toxic <laughs> from community. Uh... <laughs> Just gotta kill you, Rockman. No big deal. <laughs> I this I think this scene is done so well, and I think Michelle Trachtenberg is like doing some real good acting here because I really felt like she genuinely is like pleading and also fucking terrified because she knows her sister could like snap her neck in like an instant, and I feel like. I buy the terror and like the like desperation in Dawn's voice. I do too. She's a it's good, mo- she's a good horror movie victim, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's that moment where she tries to run and Buffy like commander rolls over the bear and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. I forgot. She's a superhero. She could kill right. you with her bare hands. So you should be scared. Yeah. yeah. Like very easily could kill her and it would, she wouldn't break a sweat. Uh, and like her, for me, those, that's when the silent performance works too, right? Because she, yeah, when she rolls over that bed, she's blank face and just like, nope, I got to kill you. We got to do this. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and I, I don't know. I just, I really like that scene and I genuinely feel so bad for Dawn. Like she had such a rough two years and like, look at where we are now. She's like running away in terror from her fucking sister. But I think that's part of what's <laughs> satisfying to me about this episode is like, okay, we've done this. We've done this thing of like Dawn being annoyed that she's like, uh, uh, like not real or whatever. We've done this thing of like mm-hmm. Xander being a big man, baby who like, can't really like grasp the fucking gravity of his actions and what's happening around him. We've done this thing of like, I don't know. It's like gratifying to see Buffy beat up her friends in this weird way. <laughs> like especially because because you know that it's not yeah. like you know like you like you know that it's you like a temporary insanity yeah. like i think and like that's kind of what makes it not so heartbreaking to me that she like ties up willow and, and puts her in a basement fair i mean yeah because like what would the show be if like <laughs> you know you still have a bunch of episodes left and she can't kill them all so like <laughs> <laughs> she's kind of wanted to take a swing at them since she fucking since they pulled her out of heaven like can you blame her <laughs> <laughs> but that's also kind of what i mean about being ahead of the show for this episode like i do think that this episode does a lot of cool things but you know that it, you know that everything's going to be all right which i guess you kind of know that all of the time in television but you really know it in an episode like this like you're ahead of the characters and you're ahead of the show in a way that makes me feel impatient as a fan it's the same reason that i don't like even when i know that they're good i don't like a groundhog's day kind of episode um because i just i get frustrated like i've already seen this and i just like i want to move ahead it's funny that's how i feel about a lot of prequel stuff whenever there's like prequel material i'm like but i already know the characters are gonna survive so why are we doing this I think I think that's why I yeah. am so impatient and sort of uh, unforgiving of this episode is I, I really loathe the trope in general of, oh, it was all a dream or it was all a delusion because it's happened so many times, especially in like science fiction and fantasy. Um, I think this I think I can think of like five examples off the top of my head where somebody is tricked into believing that they're in an institution. And um 
yeah so i i just yeah but that's like my own personal bias whatever uh but i don't think that this is posturing as an as a as a as an original idea like i think that buffy has always been in the business of meta horror and that this is a kind of horror trope that they hadn't actually ever gotten to yet and like to kind of give a buffy take that 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 plays with it or like gives a buffy treatment of it was like made it kind of it was like fun to me like i and, and i agree that and then i woke up situation is a cop-out but that you know like it's not like that's how the season ends you know it's like it's like what it, it's a it's a what if it's a one-if kind of one-off thing and I, I agree that like in the context of where we're at in the season like we really didn't need a one-off like pseudo bottle episode like that doesn't really move the plot forward very much at all and that kind of rehashes things and so i i I get that like in the context of the season but as a standalone episode like i um i like that they're playing with that trope and giving it the buffy treatment and and yeah yeah and and like and and to the episode i mean i guess to play devil's advocate (laughs) against myself Similarly to how Dawn is introduced, you know, this is a show that plays with television tropes in a way that's really intentional. Um, and it does do it cleverly, but I still don't love it just because I, I don't necessarily like the trope personally, because I feel like I'm forced to wait in the story when See, I want I the story to be moving trope. forward. Like, I love, story, like, I did you ever read the Pokemon theory? What's that? There was a, there was a, it was like circulating around the internet. I want to say like, like circa like 2010, 11 or 12, this like fan theory that was on some message board that just like laid out how the entire plot of Pokemon is a like 11 year old boy who gets electroshocked and goes into a coma and imagines the entire world of Pokemon and like draws all these analogs between like the things that happen in it, like the, things that happen in Pokemon and like some kind of psychological, like, you know, like, like now isn't it like as, as someone a little bit older, like it's all kind of like uh, a reach. Um, (laughs) But like, I don't know, like that episode reminded me of that and kind of tickled. Yeah. Well, this is like, it's like the '80s show Saint Elsewhere, which I I didn't watch, but it had like a legendarily um, despised finale because it was like a hospital show, like Grey's Anatomy, and then it turned out the very final moments that the whole series had been an autistic boy's fantasy, like inside of his snow globe that he just shook all the time. Like you only find out in like the last ten seconds of the series. Oh wait, so I actually at the top of my notes I have these quotes from Joss Whedon and Marty Noxon specifically about this episode, and I guess this would be a good time to uh, read them. So Joss Whedon about this episode said, "How important is it in the scheme of the Buffy narrative is really up to the person watching. If they decide that the entire thing is all playing out in some crazy person's head, well, the joke of the thing to us was it is, and the crazy person is me. It was kind of the ultimate postmodern look at the concept of writer writing a show." which is not the sort of thing we usually do on the show. The show had merit in itself because it raised the question, how can you live in this world and be sane? But at the same time, it, I, the same time, the idea amused me very much and we played on it a little bit. How come her little sister is taller than her? What was Adam's plan? We played on the crazy things we came up with time and time again to make this fantasy show work and called them into question the way any normal person would. But ultimately, the entire series takes place in the mind of a lunatic locked up somewhere in Los Angeles, if that's what the viewer wants. Personally, I think it really happened. I don't love that quote. We're going to be real. Um, Doesn't he say that he's the maniac or lunatic in Los Angeles? 
Yeah, yeah. He said it's, it's him. That's like he's the lunatic. Um, and, then, and then Marty Knoxon said it was a fake out. We were having some fun with the audience. I don't want to denigrate what the whole show has meant. If Buffy's not empowered, then what are we saying? If Buffy's crazy, then there is no girl power. It's all fantasy. And really, the whole show, show stands for the opposite of that which is that it isn't just a fantasy. There should be girls that can kick ass. So I'd be really sad if we made the statement at the end. Uh, that's just that. That's why it's just somewhere in the middle of saying, wouldn't it be funny if, or wouldn't it be sad if in my feelings, I believe in Joss's as well. That's not the reality of the show. It was just a trick. It's so funny to me. Uh, they, so they Josh, opinions. <laughs> so yeah, I know. So Josh TV writer opinion, go. <laughs> <laughs> what's your uh, like take on it like those quotes i think it i think that uh i would agree with marty um joss's take seems a little egomaniacal <laughs> and, you don't say uh, yeah which tracks uh yeah, yeah. so I, I don't know yeah i thought it was when i was like looking up stuff about this episode i thought it was funny that they both had like different like, yeah, Joss's is very like, this is about me. And maybe it did happen. And Marty's like, no, it's just a trick. It didn't happen. We just wanted to play with the trope, which I appreciate more, right? Just being like, yeah, eh, we knew it was a trope. We figured to go into it, whatever, but it's not real. It's weird too, because they didn't have to, like, you, you can tell that they didn't have to, like, usually there's a bottle episode. It'll, and it comes from up above. It'll be like, okay, well, we have to film this in eight days instead of 11. So let's write something that takes place all on our stages or in oh, just a so couple of locations that we already have. Um, but they built a new hospital set. So that can't be the reason why they did it. They must yeah. have just been doing it. Oh, right. Fun. Isn't that what, then you like specifically tell us that on a Sabrina episode, the dream episode, it was just like, no more new sets. We had to do. Yeah. Bad, bad. They were like, we have eight <laughs> days instead of 11. <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> um, so then Tara comes in, which this is like maybe the second time ever Tara uses her powers to save the day and fight a demon. So um, why is why is Tara even there? Did I miss something in this episode? Is she meant to be, did she say she was going to be stopping by? It just, that felt I, like a, a bit of, oh, we have to just get to the end. So we'll, yeah, we'll have, we'll have lesbian ex machina. And, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, 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 love I, lesbian ex machina. <laughs> I, I love it. Literally descending I, into I hers. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, 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 I do agree, Ian. Like, I, I, I do like that this is one of the final, or um, one of the only times where, like, given that we have been told time and time again that Tara is this sort of very learned, very powerful witch, that this is the first time really we're seeing her use her powers, or maybe like the second time this season. And she, yeah, she's like, she, she moves objects, she like throws a bookcase on the beach, below. Yeah, yeah, she's like, oh, like, this is the capable, quick-thinking, independent person that she is when she's not with Willow. When she's mm. not looking for this bigger personality to tell her what to do. Well, yeah. <laughs> but uh, then Buffy, you know, trips her down the yeah. steps. Homophobic. And what... <laughs> what? I... God, I can't even... Re- what is it that snaps Buffy? Is it just like she snaps herself out, right? Um, oh, so she... it, within the delusion, Joyce gives her this speech about remembering who she is and finding her, her strength and like believing in herself. And it works, but like in the wrong way. Well, what I noticed in this in in this viewing is that believe in yourself has a double meaning. It's not just believing in yourself like you're powerful. It's in literally believe in the truth of yeah. who you are, which is this Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 
And like, and, and yeah. that's, right. I, sorry, I love this scene. We could, let, let's talk, I mean, let's go on more about it. <laughs> <laughs> Ty, you're so amazing. I think I'm on your side now. I think you've pulled this me over to your of, side. She gets to say goodbye to her mom. You know, and like that, that is closure that I didn't really like, I don't think as viewers, we, I think we had gotten over it as viewers. Like we had been finished grieving for Joyce by this point in the series, but it was such, it felt like a treat to have this moment between Joyce and Buffy where Joyce gives her the last bit of strength that she really needs to hear that she can only really hear from someone like her mom, which is that like, you need to believe in your own power. And I think from, to your point, and to your point, I think that we couldn't have gotten this closure any sooner or else it would have undermined the power of the body, which is all about how people are taken too soon and you have to move on even though it's awkward and you have to sort of muddle through life until it gets a little less painful. And um, yeah, I think if we had had this closure like an episode or two after the body, it would have really felt cheap and really undone the power of that episode. And I think because we've waited a good long time and we as the audience have kind of moved on, now is like a really nice time to get that extra and treat. She literally of gets to say with, goodbye with Joyce. Oh. Which you guys are totally almost selling yeah. me. God, like, damn it, Ty, I think you've convinced me. <laughs> so, okay, so now is the point where I want to give my like my my ultimate defense of this episode, which is that the, the um, even though this episode doesn't really do much for the story arc of season six, it has something else that I think is really important to say, which is that like, which is about Buffy's agency and her ability to choose make choices at all. And like thus far in the season, she, I mean, the season's point of departure is that she was deprived of the choice to come back. She was completely kind of like put back into this position of, of you have to be the slayer. You like, like have to um, like, like this last big thing of agency was her sacrificing herself. And that was like, that was you know, like, I don't know. I think Buffy making choices is a bit is a big question that the show revolves around a lot. It's like, how does someone who is a chosen one, who is a hero, actually make decisions for herself? And in this season, really the only, I think, one of the few really big decisions she makes is to sleep with Spike. And she feels terrible about that decision. And so this is a point at which she is being for she's she she is being given a choice between a reality that's really, really hard for her. Um, but one in which she's powerful and a reality that seems a lot easier actually and more plausible and simpler and cleaner, but one in which she's a victim. And so the scene where she dumps out the antidote as well as the scene in which she says goodbye to her mom are these like really powerful moments to me of Buffy making a choice to um, like, uh, about what the truth is and that's what makes it not relevant whether the the asylum buffy is real or not it doesn't matter if it's real or not it matters that she chose one or the other yeah and i guess i'm not i don't know how successful i feel like this episode is this is at this or not but a lot of times these bottle episodes they you know like batty bat and the first season of sabrina is a good comp where they don't necessarily move the plot of the season forward, but they do move the characters forward emotionally, or uh, you're kind of like pausing to give the characters some depth or, or, you're, or you know, they have a different function. Um, so that's, I think, important to remember right. too. I mean, you're all, you've all helped me decide to raise my original grade for the episode. Um, 
So then we get the end. Buffy snaps out of it. She kills the demon. We have our Buffy snap fight scene. Uh, and then <laughs> Joyce had done that. We, Joyce is just like snap out of it. It slaps her, and then she wakes back up. <laughs> but then the okay, but we need to talk about this only because it's like the thing that I hate the most is the final scene. It's the most controversial when it's like when it's like oh we lost her for good, and it, that's the end of the episode, and that pisses me off. <laughs> I mean, for me, that's them saying, no, that was real. The whole show's fake. Ha ha. Fuck you, viewers. Um, I mean, no, I, I didn't I didn't hate that so much because I, I think it made for a stronger ending to the episode than just Buffy being like, oh, I, I need the antidote. And basically it felt like they'd they'd written to the point where Buffy remembered who she was. She knew this was real. She's like, OK, no, you need to get the antidote. I know I know that I'm still at risk. We've killed the demon, but whatever. And it's like unless they were going to skip ahead to the next day and have everything be better. Uh, it's like, how do you end it? And it is like a real bit. It's like, you know, whether you like it or not, it's a gut punch of an ending and it like, it draws a solid line under the episode in a way that a sort of skip ahead stinger might not have. Uh, I agree with uh, Ty. I think, I think, um, I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that leaving that kind of open end, I think first of all, that loose end at the very end is, is, is very clearly an artistic maneuver. I don't feel like there's a suggestion that we're going to get more of the Asylum Buffy universe and that we've just like, you know, like created this loose end. that we're, It's not like the eggs and teacher's pet, you know, or like, well, no, I think the eggs and teacher's pet is also kind of like a, like a, ooh, like a twilight zone ending of like a, of like a, like, you know, flashlight under the chin, like, and some say he's still out there in the woods now, you know, like, that's like a thing that they kind of like to do every now and then in Buffy. So I, I, I like that about it. But I also, <laughs> going back to what I was saying about, about choices and Buffy's agency is like, if we tied it up with, and then Buffy was cured and we have you know, affirmed that the Slayerverse is the real universe, then they will have re- they, then, then they would have reinforced the idea that that's what matters. You know, like if we tied it up there, yeah. I also think that. What you say? No, sorry. To be oh, honest. I was just going to say what I said before. Which... <laughs> I was just going to say, I also think that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Please go ahead, Ty. Sorry. Um, that what Oops. which Oops. universe is real is not the point of the episode. I go the point ahead. Of the episode is which universe does Buffy choose? Yeah, I was going to say about the ending. Um, you know, in regards to what Ty was saying about whether or not it's a promise of things to come, this is like a thing that horror movies and soap operas do all the time, where they have this button at the end of the episode. And so again, the show is playing with tropes and cliches the thing that buffy does that's interesting if anything is that a lot of times they do bring these things back like the master uh is in season one or something and then it's like the big bad of season seven like that's the cleverest thing that buffy does is it actually does deliver on those promises but i'm with ty and that i don't necessarily expect that from individual episodes just because it is such a cliche and such a a trope of the genre Hmm. um I, I mean, for me, yes, Buffy did do that numerous times early in the seasons, but I felt like by this point they had stopped doing the like horror trope of like, oh, look, that thing's still there. It could come back, even though, you know, it's not because like they do. do. I think almost every monster in like every like one off monster in seasons one and two, there's like some kind of kicker at the end, like the praying mantis and the bad eggs and like shit like that, where it's like, oh, look, it's still there. But then we never go back to it because it doesn't really matter. It's an early season. I don't know that that's the thing that bothered that's always the thing that makes me hate this episode is that kicker at the end um but uh 
yeah, I guess we're at the end here. Um, Ty, since you love the episode, would you like to start us off by giving us your favorite scene? Um, my favorite scene is uh, the believe in yourself goodbye final Buffy, that moment between Buffy and Joyce. All right. Philip? Um, I think I'm going to pick this this scene, and it's not necessarily because it's my favorite. Well, I think it's my it's maybe my favorite use of, of another very, very common trope where an in-universe character points out how rid- ridiculous things are, and it's when Buffy's like, oh, what's more real, a girl in an institution or, like, a super girl who sleeps with vampires? Yeah, that sounds real. Um, it's like it's like once they started making superhero movies, they started trying to make them relatively serious. They were like, "Oh, and what's he called? Like Ant Man? That's ridiculous!" You know, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> oh, you could always wear this costume, haha! <laughs> it's from the comics. Looks to camera, you know. It's that kind of pointing at your own absurdity uh, as as a way of sort of you know. But it's like, but the show has always been that. Like the the show is literally called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The entire premise is implausible and silly, and 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 plays on your expectations of that. Um, but I, I did kind of I like that because it was like, and also it's like, uh, it's the one time that she says to anyone outside of Spike that she's been sleeping with Spike. But because she's you know sort of out of her mind on this toxin, uh, Dawn doesn't remember it. Okay. Uh Josh? I think um, maybe when Buffy is going to kill her friends, mostly because I just think her performance is really chilling and interesting and a new texture for Buffy. So yeah, probably that. Yeah, my my favorite scene is her chasing like specifically Dawn, because I just think that scene is I yeah I don't I don't know why someone wouldn't like her acting in this episode yeah that's crazy really fucking good yeah um oh I'm sorry I just want to change my favorite scene to the split second where Buffy hit Xander in the face with a frying pan Um, love it um so I my favorite outfit um because I already know what ties is uh is um Uh, so my favorite outfit is uh, what Willow wears um, for sort of the entire second half of the episode. It's that kind of burnt orange sweater with the huge pendant. It's just, and, and I've said this for everything, I've uh, every episode I've been on for season six, it's so early 2000s, kind of wicker hippie. I'm pretty sure I owned everything that she's wearing, that kind of, you know, the, the, the burnt orange, chunky, heavy wool, <laughs> the big, like, sort of medallion thingy and then she's got like a very cute ponytail which is a good look on her so that's my favorite look huh. all right um ty <laughs> i think that the demon is giving us monster ball realness she's giving us couture <laughs> diego montoya like fringe cloak like shimmery goth i love it i love it i want to smoke cigarettes with him on the handicap ramp ramp at ps1 love the demon the demon is my favorite look look um josh do you have a favorite you can pass if you need to (laughs) no i don't need to i'm looking at images from it um I'm a, one of my, so obviously I'm a big horror fan, and one of my favorite specific genres is hospital horror, like Halloween two. And I guess I'm just gonna go with her like hospital wear. I love the fragility it projects. I love the final girlness of it. It's just very classic scream queen final girl. And so I guess that's my pick. 
right. I, you all had really good picks. Um, mine is the same as Phillips. I love that Willow outfit with the giant pendant. I very into it. If that, like, if I saw a guy dressed like that now, I'd probably have a crush on him. Can I give one last pitch before we do grades? <laughs> I just have one final thought that I didn't squeeze in, yes, which is that yes. pitch, pitch me, which die. is that there is a there is a supple <laughs> queer reading to this episode concerning. Okay, maybe conversion therapy is a reach, but I think it is a common queer experience to feel like perhaps you are crazy and that there is some trick to just being normal and that all of your bizarre desires and circumstances that come with being a queer person are just you being nuts. Um, And that at some point, if you come out of that, you step back and you say, my world is very bizarre and it's difficult and it doesn't always make make sense on paper, but it's mine. And I think that is a very queer choice to make. And I think that's something that resonates with a lot of like, uh, it resonates with me uh, like as a queer person. <laughs> Agreed for sure. <laughs> um, I don't think that's actually a reach. I think I that's must be a writer. Um, you must be a writer. Ty. I mean, I think women to Ty's earlier point at the start of this episode, I think women would re- relate to that too, in regards to misogyny. Just to take Ty ownership over something that doesn't make yeah. sense to other people, you know? Yeah. I, I think that a lot of, yeah. 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 I, I think that's like, um, when we had Jana Spenson on for the first time, she said that she felt like Buffy could be a relatable queer experience before they had queer characters because of Buffy, like, you know, quote unquote, leading like a dual life. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I write and talk about a lot is, you know, horror has a huge gay male following and always has. And a part of that is because gay men are used to having women be their avatars in pop culture. And so gay men see themselves in the final girls and they see that as rightfully as a metaphor for their survival in this, on this planet. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You're all very smart and very handsome. Thank you. Um, So what grade do we give it? Josh. Uh, B minus. I mean, fuck. I think Ty has fin- has brought me around. Um, my main complaint about this is it's one of those season six episodes that is such a drag to watch because of you know of the reasons we've laid out in the last hour and a half. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna drag it up from a C to a B minus. All right, all right. Uh, Ty. Um, my final grade is a B, just square B. I uh, I understand and agree with a lot of the criticisms that this doesn't really move anything forward. It feels a little extraneous in terms of the themes that it covers, but as uh, it's extremely memorable for me, and I think especially as kind of a one-off episode, it's it's really strong and 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 you know I belabored the point that, that I like this episode a lot. But I, I will I will com- I will say it's a B. It's not an A. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um. I. So I want you all to know my original grade in my notes was a D, but you have all changed my mind, but I can't decide if it's a C or a C plus. We're somewhere like towing the line there um, because yeah, I Ty, I never thought about that. Like that's a really good like final scene with her mom and she gets her goodbye and all right. So you, you, you've convinced me, um, but I'm easily swayed. So <laughs> uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for listening. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ian X Carlos on all platforms. And if you want to follow the podcast, we are at Slayerfest X 98 on all platforms. We can find us on Google play Podbean, 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other corners of the internet. And if you like our podcast, feel free to support us by subscribing to our Patreon, which, help, which helps keep this podcast going. Philip, where can everyone find you? Uh, so you can catch me at menshealth.com. I write a lot about LGBTQ stuff and fuck tons of Marvel. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L and Ellis with two. And Josh, where can everyone find you? I'm um, all over the place on all of the things, but the thing that I'm most active on is Twitter, where I'm at Joshua Conkle. And Ty? Um, you can request to follow me at, on Twitter at Ty Mitchell XO. I'm pretty liberal with accepting requests. Um, if you're a fan of gay porn, you can follow me at Ty Mitchell XXX. <laughs> Great. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.